I'm your host, Char Adams, and this is COVID University, New York. More than 6 million people in the United States have tested positive for coronavirus since the illness broke out in the country in January. And the number has only skyrocketed as states reopened prematurely. New York was once known as the epicenter of the disease, with more than 437,000 confirmed cases and more than 32,000 deaths in the state. As New Yorkers, along with the rest of the country, were experiencing sickness, job loss, food insecurity, and mental health issues due to COVID, wondering if life would ever be normal again, our attention was sharply turned to another pandemic. The police brutality and the overall racial injustice rife in the country with the deaths of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, Rayshard Brooks, Elijah McClain, Danielle Prude, the shooting of Jacob Blake, and more. Activists, organizers, and just plain old concerned citizens have been fighting back against this police brutality for decades. But this time has felt different. Both COVID and the uprisings occurring simultaneously have forced us to seriously look at the socio, racial, and economic fault lines that have long existed in the country and that are only exacerbated by this public health crisis. There have been protests in cities across the country since May 25th when George Floyd, a 46-year-old Black man, was killed by an officer while in police custody in Minneapolis. People quickly demanded justice, from firing the officers involved to calling for police departments nationwide to be dismantled. These uprisings have generated more media coverage than any protests in the last 50 years, and they've sparked a national conversation about racism, police funding, and even abolishing the police system entirely. Naturally, state and federal leaders expressed concerns about the number of COVID cases increasing due to these protests with people gathering in large numbers for extended periods of time. But people decided this cause was worth the risk. Fighting police brutality and racism was more important at the time, but protesters have been sure to take safety precautions during demonstrations so they won't spread the illness. People, both in groups and just individuals, have been at protests handing out masks, hand sanitizer, bottled water, snacks, all to keep themselves and the people around them safe, healthy, and hydrated, even in the midst of these uprisings. People have been protesting for weeks and months, and these uprisings have resulted in an important moment where people are demanding change in so many areas of society. As for students, staff, and faculty at CUNY, these situations are undoubtedly going to change the atmosphere of classes in the fall whether they happen in person or online. My name is Shadley. My background, I'm Black, um, Caribbean. My family's Haitian and Cuban. I graduated from CUNY um, with a, a bachelor's in sociology and women and gender studies at Queens College, um, a minor in LGBT studies, and I will be starting the Women and Gender Studies Master's Program at the Graduate Center in the fall. It is still very real. Like, the pandemic is still very real, and it's happening. And so uh, it had, and people have lost people. But the thing is, they're seeing how this thing is really like a setup. 
So there's just this realization that, wow, like we have a really terrible medical system. Like, you know, all of this stuff is like really weird and awful. And they're realizing how like systemic things impact certain communities, like black people who have been hit the hardest with this. Um, and like the structural ways that racism exists and, and, and that has really made that even the thing, even though like, you know, COVID itself is not like something that is targeting black people or like unique to black people. Like still just the way that people structures have been put in place and the way that medical racism and medical apartheid exists um, has made people very clear that, you know, this stuff is a whole setup. Like, um, and so people have lost people and people have realize how awful this is and people are angry like that's the thing too like people are really angry on a personal levels all of them are really angry on, on personal levels of what's going on alex vitali is an author and professor of sociology at brooklyn college he's also the coordinator of the policing and social justice project he's the author of the end of policing and in addition people were protesting against the ways in which the mayor in New York and in many other cities had turned enforcement of social distancing over to the police to manage instead of working closely with communities. So then we get into the protest situation and there is a complete lack of any support from health authorities and the organizers who have always been concerned with these issues of public health and public safety have, of course, taken it upon themselves to provide support to the movement in a way that the state has failed to do so. And then if you look at the way police were deployed in managing the protests, the police were not practicing social distancing, were often not wearing masks, and were arresting people often completely unnecessarily placing them into a criminal justice system, which is wholly uh, lacking in, in protections and has a, is a major site of spread of the disease. So we, we see failure here from local officials on a number of levels and a deep awareness within the movement of those failures and efforts to counteract them. I think in terms of like a concrete political analysis, there is a sense in which the racially disparate impacts of COVID on the African-American community, I think have just added to the sense in which there are profound racial inequalities in the United States in terms of access to health care. And, and then also the economic impacts of COVID have been felt disproportionately by African-Americans uh, because of their already vulnerable economic position as a community folks in the black community are more likely to have jobs that have been eliminated or scaled back and to have had less of a reserve to help weather the crisis so i think both those factors contributed to the sense that there that there's a a, a crisis in terms of racial justice in the united states and then I think probably there's also some kind of a psychological aspect to it in the sense that we've been cooped up in our houses for months 
and there's this desire there's a kind of rage about the situation in the world and some of that is getting expressed as protest where maybe it might have been expressed in other ways and i think the final factor is that covid has contributed to this sense of political failure that that government has not done its job is not protecting people is sending mixed messages and that there's no there's no sense in which well if we just vote for this person or that person that's going to fix it all that there's there's a sense that the crisis is so much greater than that and i think that's playing a factor here also we'll be right back after these messages if you're a fan of this show you might also want to check out our sister series the big shut-in long-form conversations with all kinds of people, real people, all around the country, to find out the variety of what they're dealing with and how they're coping during the coronavirus crisis. It's unscripted and intimate, and really gives you a view into people's lives as they navigate a truly difficult time. You can find The Big Shut-In at racecarradio.com and wherever you get podcasts. So let's just take a step back for a second, because even before the protests began, the kinds of movements that are part of this uh, effort to redirect spending, to create empowered, safer communities, were already engaged in all kinds of mutual aid efforts. They were already actively involved in supporting their communities in ways that government was failing to adequately address. The thing we should understand about this movement is it's a movement for public safety. It's it's a movement to try to create stronger communities. And so the concerns of folks in this movement are about protecting people. So the ethos of support is at the center of what's going on out there. And organizing under COVID has been beautiful to see, in all honesty, because we believe in um, keeping each other safe. We're marching because we want to see each other free and, and, and healthy and, and safe from harm. And so um, I did have concerns, but... Not one march have I been to where the organizers have not made sure people have water and masks. I saw that people were, the, the crowd just knew. They just knew what needed to happen. And whether or not that's in the context of organizing large protests or in working at community level mutual aid projects, these, these things are, are interconnected. Mutual aid is a commitment to to your community and to a long-term commitment. So it's not like charity where you give people something and that's it. But it's more like, I'm going to help you get what you need for, for as long as you need the, these things. We're all organizing our buildings for rent strikes. We're literally taking care of our communities. Bail funds are full, like bail funds, both the funds, money itself, and people outside waiting to support um, emotionally and care for people and drive people home and get people safe is full. Um, We are at the start of something, I believe, uh, the beginning of the revolution um, we've been craving for. And I don't really see that this is all about George Floyd specifically, as opposed to people um, showing up for Black Lives Journaling. 
the revolution that I'm speaking of is an abolitionist future free from harm, police, from capitalism, from white supremacy, from patriarchy, from a lot of these things that harm us, um, homophobia, um, transphobia. And so, yeah, so it would be like a complete, not only a, a, a change of economic system, but a real a, a drastic cultural change that um, erases um, racism and, and homophobia and, and sexism, misogyny from existence. That's the change that I want to see. That's the revolution I have in mind. The lesson I would want to leave people with is that when we see a problem turned over to the police to manage, we should look for the political failure that undergirds it. So whether this is turning mass homelessness over to the police to manage, mass untreated mental illness, even things like youth violence and domestic violence, or, you know, the enforcement of social distancing, in each case, there's a political failure underneath this, a failure to get to the root of a problem, and they're using police to, to manage or paper over that problem uh, in ways that actually, you know, create an additional burden on often already vulnerable communities. We've been saying for so long, like, that's the whole politics of abolition. We don't need these systems, like, these police, you know, they're supposed to be people we turn to when they harm us. But, no, we don't need that. that, We don't need uh, um, a lot of these structures that exist. We can keep each other safe. We can take care of each other. We're getting there. People are doing it. Like, this is even, you know, God forbid this isn't the revolution. This is so significant and so shifting to how people move in the future. And so it won't be, you know, if, when the revolution comes, not if, when it comes, um, it will not be unfamiliar to people um, taking care of each other, um, doing these things. People that I know this, like a lot of people, this is their first time. People are organizing rent strikes. Like this, you know, this is their first time standing up against these things, landlords against police, like, you know, the state, you know, a lot of people, this is their first time. A lot of young people, they're seeing this, this is, this is the fuel for them. And so even God forbid, this moment is not the revolution. This moment is still so significant, and we will see how important this is as we move forward to how people move and learn to take care of each other or are learning right now and will be taking care of each other in the future. This is the beginning. Regardless of whatever, this is the beginning of a new thing. This is it. This is the beginning of something very important that's going to happen. I'm your host, Shara Adams. Our producer is David Hoffman, executive producer, Peter Christian Eigner. This show is a co-production of the Gotham Center for New York City History and Race Car Radio, with initial support provided generously by the Seed Time Fund and Lauren Kramer. Contact us at covid university at racecarradio.com. <laughs>